Welcome to the Gathering at Adel's Sermon of the Week. This message is by Pastor Jeff Hopkins. As you listen, we pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched. Thank you. God bless. January 7th. Y'all still doing that New Year's resolution stuff, right? You know, I mean... I feel like, too, like we do these New Year's resolutions. We do the, the, the word of the year. If, if you're following many things on social media, you'll see a lot of these things. New Year's resolution, right? I'm going I'm to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray more consistently. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to buy my husband a pair of shoes once a month. Maybe that's somebody. Maybe somebody said that. I don't know. Maybe they did. But, right, whatever that resolution is, what we find is that most of those things tire out. Or, or we get these, you know, you, you follow things and it's like, man, the word of the year is this. And, you know, 2020, right? what, anybody know what the word of the year that most everybody said was? It, it was like the vision, right? It's, it's going to be a year of vision. This is 2020. 2022 was like, it's going to be double portion. Right, and, and then you just go through and everybody's having this word of the year and it's going to be, uh, we're going to contend, we're going to overcome, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But, but, but what, if, what if this year, what if we just said, hey, we're going to keep the one thing as the one thing. David, David didn't say, oh, for this year, then I'm going to seek his face. He said, one thing that I ask and that I would seek is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To dwell in his house all the days of my life. You, you, you see that, that we can have these words of the year. We can have these New Year resolutions. But the one thing has never changed. From the day that we gave our lives to the Lord, it's never been about anything else. Except gazing at the beauty of the Lord. To dwell in his house all the days of my life. That's all it's about. All the other things send us on different directions for that year. And then we next year we go here, and the next year we go there, and the next year. If our pursuit of Jesus is, is the same, yeah, we might go other places. He might take us places, but our end result is still the same. It's Jesus. If you put your hope in him and you make that your resolution, that's one you're going to stick to. That's the one that won't disappoint you. That's the one that you won't grow tired of. Exercising and eating right, that can be tiresome, burdensome. It's beneficial. I'm not preaching against that. Calm down, Lord. I can just see you over there on me. Like I can feel the heat coming out of them eyes. But I'm saying they, those are all good things. Reading through your Bible for the year is a good thing. Praying more is a good thing. Speaking kindly to your kids is a good thing. Having patience is a good thing. But our pursuit can never change from Him. Because when we pursue him, then all of those things will come naturally anyways. As he shapes us and molds us and transforms us, then all of a sudden we'll be able to contend. Then all of a sudden we'll be able to do things the, the way he's, that we were supposed to. And I, I feel like a lot of the things that we have as we, as we come into this new year, it's almost with a regret from the last year. Every year though. Every year it's like, this is my year. This is the year that all of those things that I wanted last year, 
Today I'm going to see them. This year I'm going to see them. You might not. It might not be your year. You might not get that new job. You might experience heartbreak, hurt, loss, pain, suffering, trials, betrayal. This might not be the best year you've ever had. I can't promise you it. I can't stand up here and say, hey, this is it. 2024, baby. I can't say it. But what, what I can say is that if your pursuit of him never changes, then, then there it is. I can't tell you that this is going to be your year. You know why? Because I love you too much to stand up here and lie to you and say that you're not going to experience hurt, loss. But what I can tell you is that he is in every situation. He's with us. He is within us. He is for us. And he is still good. That in the midst of all of those things, he's still with us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us, never turns his back on us, never abandons us. That we've been adopted into his family. That we can draw near to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that with 100% certainty. It might be a tough year on the earth. But it can be the best year you've ever had with the Lord. It just might look differently than what you thought it was. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever got what you wanted, but it didn't come in the way that you thought it was going to come? Have you missed things before that the Lord's given you because you were looking for it somewhere else? You thought, no, that can't be mine. It's got to be for someone else. When you, when you look at the book of James, verse 2, it says, in chapter 1, it says, consider it. A great joy, not just joy, a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it a great joy. Some translations, I think the NIV says it, says it pure joy. The testing of your faith through various trials. It says that the trials are what produces maturity in us. That the trials produce endurance. And then endurance will have its full effect. So that we will be mature and complete. Lacking nothing. If I were to stand up here and tell you, man, this is, this is it, man. This is the year. If, if, or if I preach a gospel that's contrary to the gospel of Jesus, that's like there's no more suffering. Right? You come to Jesus and he'll make everything right, everything good. You'll be blessed, health and wealth. It will all just flow from his throne right into your lap and it will be the best you've ever experienced. I think maybe some of the 12 disciples might have a different opinion than that, that gospel that's being preached right now. I think Paul might have a different idea of what it means to follow him, to pursue him. We want to live a life that's free of suffering. I mean, that, that's just natural, right? Don't we, we want that, obviously. But that's not the life that we're promised. Not, not just that's not the life we're promised in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, it's even worse. There's no hope. 
But at least in Jesus, we have hope. At least in Jesus, we know that it's for something to produce maturity, completeness, so that we lack nothing. At least it's for something. The word all throughout the word, it just talks about suffering. John 16, 33, Jesus, this is Jesus. He says, hey, I've told you all these things, right, previously in the chapter, so that you may have peace in me. You will have suffering in this world. In the Greek, it means you will. In English, you will. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Do I have 1 Peter 1 up there? Maybe I do. Let's see if I... It says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That through our pain, our suffering, and our grief, that the revelation, we will get a revelation of who Jesus is through those things. Romans 8, 17. I'm, I'm just going to flip back there real fast. Actually, I, I, there's one that y'all are probably more familiar with, Romans 8, 28. It says that, that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Right? Romans 8, 17, it says... And if we children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified in him. It, we know that he works all things together for the good of those who love God, love him and who are called according to his purpose. What is there to work together if everything's good? We read that and we're like, yeah, amen. Well, when you need that verse, you're going to be in the middle of a trial. And a temptation and grief and suffering and heartbreak. Like we love that verse, but I don't think we really look at it because then we go, oh, that means he's got to work this out because this is bad. I need him. You look at Romans chapter 5. It's, it's the same verbiage as James chapter 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Suffering is inevitable. It's what we're going to deal with. We can either choose to deal with it with him or do it on our own. We can either be, go through trials and hard times and grow to be complete and mature, lacking nothing. Or you can go through those trials and be mad, angry, bitter, and upset. And you will still be weak, immature, and in lack. You see that the, the trials produce those things in us. Your pathway to maturity is through suffering. New Year's message, love it. That word in, in James, it says that the testing of your faith 
the picture of that word in the language in Greek, it's a picture of a furnace. And the, the furnace produces the fire that, that tests our faith. The furnace produces endurance. The furnace tests the purity of our faith. Our response to the fire reveals the purity of our faith. Our response to the fire reveals the purity of our faith. Marriage is a, is a prime example. Uh, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Is it, babe? No, no. But through those things, through those arguments, through me learning that she was right, through, through those heartbreaks and disappointments, it produces in us a greater love and maturity than we had before. If you never fight with anyone, then what you're saying is that relationship really isn't worth it because it's too fragile. You're, you don't want to, it's the hardest thing is to say, hey, where do you want to go to lunch? And it's like, I don't care. It's like, I know you don't care, but where do you want to go? And if you've ever been with a friend and you, you just always go where they want to go, what you're saying is that our relationship is so fragile that just the mere mention, me mentioning a restaurant that I would rather go to than you could actually cause the relationship to break up. The same thing was with the Lord that if, if there's no fire, if there's no testing, if there's no suffering, then at the first moment of it, we bolt. Like, oh man, I thought I didn't think Christianity was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be fun and easy. Right? At the, at the first, you're young, married, you, you have that first fight, and you're like, well, it said till death do us part, but that might be quicker than we're thinking here. You know? <laughs> like, because you have to realize at that moment, you have to begin to go, do I really love this person? Is my faith in her? Is my faith in God actually at the level that I say that it is? Because it's easy to go, I love the Lord. I will follow him all the days of my life. Nothing can separate us. And then you experience hurt, heartbreak, suffering, loss, grief. And then you go, Lord, I thought you were with me. Because through suffering, through trials, through temptations, through grief, suffering, it actually proves our love for him. This is that no matter what happens in this world, I'll never turn my back on you. That's why the word of the year is the same that it was last year and the year before. And it'll be the same word that I have for the rest of my life. Is that I just want to gaze at the beauty of the Lord. To dwell in his house all the days of my life. He's my one thing. He's my one pursuit. Suffering and trials are not things that happen separate from God's redemptive plan. They're actually part of it. Through them, we experience growth to become more like Him. When we are weak, we lean on Him. And when we lean on Him, we discover how strong He is. Have you ever thought about that? When you lean on Him, you get to discover how strong He really is. 
When you lean on yourself, you realize how fragile you are. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, lean, lean not on your own ways. Because they're so fragile and fickle. They're like fads. They're like trends. They're like Stanley and Starbucks cups. It'll be gone here today, gone tomorrow. And that's where our faith will be if we're not careful, if we lean on ourselves and not on him. Because if we put all the pressure on us and we put that weight on our shoulders, you'll see how fast you crumble. You'll see why divorce rates are up, suicide rates are up. Because they're putting all of it on themselves and not on the Father. Suffering, we can, we can be upset with Him or we can rejoice with Him. Because Jesus said, you will suffer in this world. I, I love that there's this story in Numbers, Numbers 14. Do y'all want to turn there? You don't have to. I probably don't even have it on the screen, but I'll just... I'll try to recap it for you. Nah, I'll just read it. Numbers 14, verse 1. It, it's kind of lengthy, but it's the word of God. It's so pure and true, right? You can't grow tired of this. So here you go. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. Right? They had just scouted out the promised land. And, and they, they got a bad report. It said all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. And the whole community told them, If we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only died in this wilderness, why is the little Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Man, look at Moses and Aaron's response. They fell face down in front of the whole assembly. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, The land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. They scouted out the land, and it was full of giants. But Joshua and Caleb said, hey, the Lord has given us favor. We will devour them. That, that word devour and the original language means bread. The giants will become our bread, is what they were saying. What the enemy meant for evil, the Lord will use for good. That what was came against us will actually be fuel for the fire. I mean, have, have you just thought about suffering in that way that goes, oh, oh so that's my giant. Well, that, that will become my bread. That's what I will eat and that's what I will devour. I didn't take my ADD medicine today, so we'll, we'll try to stay on. I'll take it later, babe. It's all right. 
no matter what we face, we'll never experience the full weight of the suffering of Jesus. No matter what you go through, the full weight was on him. Lean on him, for he's strong. When we look at suffering in this way, we should be excited for the person that God is going to make us as we endure. Instead of, instead of looking at it, poor me. Why is this happening to me? What if we had the attitude of, man, the Lord is going to bring something about in me. I'm going to become a better person, a more mature, complete, and lack nothing through this. And I know that sounds easy, and it sounds almost like a fairy tale to even say that, and you're like, Jeff, but you don't know. You're right, I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. But also, instead of thinking of it like, why me? Poor me, that victim mentality. How does it tell us it went in Job? Satan, Satan comes to him, and, and what did God say? Have you considered my servant Job? What if we begin to look at ourselves in such a way that go, the Lord thought enough of me that I could handle this, that I could bear this so that my family can be, be you know, so I can be to my family who I'm supposed to be. Instead of like, why me? Poor me. You go, Father, thank you that you think that I'm worthy enough to handle this. May I steward this in such a way that brings about your glory and your praise and your honor. We're so used to that victim mentality. We're so used to being defeated, whining, complaining. But what if we just said, Lord, you are so good. I will gladly take this on so that my brother and sister don't have to. It's choosing to take on something so that someone else doesn't have to. We don't want to always travel the road, but we want to get to the destination. We all want the same. That we want to get to completeness, to maturity, to lacking nothing, to having endurance and perseverance and hope. But we, but we just don't want to take the road. We get in the middle of suffering and trials and grief and we say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Take a road trip today. We got a, it's a road trip for us to go over to Dallas today. You know, we live in Strawn. Everything's a road trip from Strawn. But, you know, it's like, how many times are the kids going to say, are we there yet? And it, it bothers you. It's frustrating. You're like, man, I've got everything you need. Growing up, all I had was the back window to look out. What are you look out? You know, or the side window. Only one side window because my brother was in the, on the other side. I ain't looking at him, right? Not messing with that guy. But all we did is like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And we do the same things with the Father. We get in the middle of the trial. We're on, we're on the road to maturity and completeness. And the only question we want to ask is, are we there yet? Instead of, are you glorified by me, Father? Are you, am I doing okay? Can you strengthen me? Like, like all we want to do is just get through it. But just getting through it's not the goal. The gro goal is growth, 
maturity, completeness, lacking nothing, perseverance, endurance, and hope. So that when we come to the next one, it's nothing. It's like making a quick drive down to Dollar General and Strawn the next time because it's just that quick. It doesn't even seem like it's difficult. So how do we do this? Ah, there it was. I knew I had something written down. <laughs> My ADD might have got to me. How about this? How about we are being equipped, not cursed? We are being equipped, not cursed. How do we get there? When we begin to look at the word and begin to, to pull out of there, here's what I've got for you. Practical tips is worship. When, when you come into a trial, to a season of grief and heartbreak and hurt, our go-to is worship. Because it, it, the first step is because it takes all the focus off of the external and puts it right back on the eternal. It gets rid of all the, the noise that's happening around outside of you. And it allows the song that's in your heart to burst forth out of you. We, we have to start with worship. Because it puts him in the right perspective. All throughout the word, you see it over and over. Where worship is first. You, you have the walls of Jericho. Right? They fell down because the, the musicians, the instruments, the singers, they, they walked around and it fell. They took the city without any trouble. There's another story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let me read that to you because there's a great passage. It's a great story. Second Chronicles verse chapter 20, it talks about that. You have Jehoshaphat stands in the assembly, begins to pray, and then God answers him. This is what the Lord says. Verse 15, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and you will see them coming up the ascent of Siz, and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you. And he goes out, and when they go out, they went out. The moment they began, this is verse 22, the moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants. Like, the praise went out. They were defeated before a sword even had to be lifted. We want to lift a sword and swing a sword. We want to do this and do that and declare and decree and do all this and tire ourselves all out when all it really is is to worship Him. Psalm 149, verse 6. It's a lot of scripture references today, but we'll be all right. 
Let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Right? Let, let the praise, the exaltation of God be in their mouths and a sword in their hands. That, that our worship is our weapon. It, go, it goes into the, the next one is how do, we, how do we get through these seasons of grief and trials and suffering? We start with worship, but then we go right into his word. Because we have to be careful that our worship is always grounded and rooted in the word. Because we can get out a part of it. We can start saying things that sound right and sound good and correct. And you're like, man, that is good. But, but then we can come back to the word and go, okay, but here's where it is. When you encounter suffering and grief and trials, worship. Dig into his word. I mean, we're, we're in Ephesians, and we pulled out for this one time, but go back into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, right? It says, what the, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. So the, the worship is like a double-edged sword in our hands. His Word is the sword of the Spirit. You see that, that when Jesus was tempted, He gave him the Word right back at him. He didn't have to have any... Thing special. It was just the word. He quoted the word at him. It wasn't self-help. It wasn't psychological babble. It was just like, here's the word of God. This is the truth. Prayer. Man, I mean, when you get into seasons of suffering and trials and heartache, if you try to do it without prayer... <laughs> You see, you see, prayer, we, we get this wrong idea. Prayer is not about changing our circumstances. It's about changing our focus and our perspective. We don't pray so, so that it's like, Lord, come and change this. No, but sometimes we need to say, before he can ever change a spouse, not anybody in general, but before he can change a spouse, he has to begin to change me first. When we go to suffering or trial or whatever, man, our first thing is Facebook, social media, right? Like, oh, the server forgot my food or, you know, whatever the nonsense is on there that we think is suffering and trials. But like our first step is to make it public. The first time that somebody says something about us and we hear about it, our first response is now to go and make sure that everybody knows that's not the way that it went down. But Jesus' response was he always went alone to be with the Father. He wanted solitude and prayer and not blasting everybody. Every time you see where Jesus is about to come into something major, he's already withdrawn. Right after something major, he withdraws to get by himself. And the disciples are amazed every time. They're like, where's Jesus? It's like, oh yeah, he's praying. Right before he's handed over to suffering and death, he's in the garden praying. Before he chose the 12 apostles, he was praying. I mean, every time we see solitude and prayer, we'll always win over being right in the court of public opinion. Before he was tempted, he was alone with the Father. For 40 days. Passion for the, for the Lord. 
You're not going to get through suffering and grief and trials if you don't really love them. It'll prove real quick how either shallow or how deep your love is for him. It goes right back to marriage. You'll never get through it if you don't truly love them. And you'll know real quick if you really do or not. That's why it's, it's the one thing that we've been saying is the one thing I ask and that I would seek, Psalm 27. That I would just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to dwell in his house all the days of my life. You, you see, there's another psalm. Uh, I didn't even plan on saying it, so I don't have it off the top of my head, I, the number. But there's one psalm. It's from the, the sons of Korah where they used to be in the temple. And they, some of them left. And so they, they're writing a psalm, and they said, man, I would, just, I would give anything to just be the doorkeeper at the temple. I, I don't even have to go in. I don't have to be with him, but if I could just be there with him, be around it, that's good enough for me now. We have to become a people that are passionately pursuing him, that love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Everything we have, he is owed to him. We want a resolution, but yet we're called to be resolute, to be purposeful, determined and unwavering in our passion for him. The last one that I have in, is a right view of the Father. Because you can go through suffering and trials. You can go through grief and loss, hurt and pain, betrayal. You can go through all of that. But if you have a negative view of the Father, you'll run away at the first sight of it. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of death, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of people talking bad about you, in the midst of your spouse not living up to a resolution of buying you a new pair of shoes once a month. Like, admit, in spite of all of that, he is there with you. He is good, and he loves you, and he cares for you. If you don't know that about him, then you will run away from him instead of running to him. He is good. He is not the author of those things. We live in a fallen and a broken world where one day it will all be restored and we'll stand before him. That glorious body that we're promised will have it. No amen on that one? Okay. Yeah. Amen. Right? We'll stand before him in a glorious body and everything will be made new and right. But on this side of heaven, until we get there, there will be suffering. There will be death. There will be unexplainable loss. But it should never change our view of the Father. He said, in 2 Corinthians, it says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. I will boast of my weakness so Jesus' power will reside in me. That's just scripture. That's not even nothing I said. Y'all should amen that one. Man, that's good. A right view of the Father will lead to a right view and a right understanding of my value and identity. We have to transform our unmet expectations into brave opportunities. 
to pursue him even more. You hear that in, in Genesis 20, or Ch Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It says, What the enemy meant for evil, the Lord used for good. That even in our suffering, God is still good. He does not leave us, He not, does not abandon us. He is with us and He is within us. This one's gonna hurt. You ready? <laughs> it hurt me. God doesn't need you happy, He needs you holy complete and mature. Suffering and trials and hard times bring about a maturity that can only come through them. The fire proves the purity of our faith. And I said it once, but I want to say it again. We are being equipped, not cursed. We're going to pray together. Kelly and the band are going to come back up and we're just going to end with a song. And as we end with that, it's a song called, Yes, I Will. Don't just, don't just sing the words. Don't just glaze over them. But what we're doing is we're declaring before him that says, Yes, I will. Even in these things, I will praise him. So, Father, we just come before you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, may, may we just be resolute today. May we resolve ourselves to pursuing you in all things, in all circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen.
your word. We thank you for who you are, God, that you are someone who is trustworthy, that we know our hope is in you, Jesus, that no matter what we face in this world, God, we know that we can trust you. We can count on you to see us through, God, and we can place our hope in you. We pray that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers today, God. Bless every family, bless every person here in our going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.